Hey guys, it's Steven, your rapper host. I first want to thank, thank you, thank you to all of our outsiders out there who have donated to help us to reach out, to do more, um, to create the scholarships that we've now created. Um, if you want more information about that, go to unashamedunafraid.com slash donate. We have scholarships to help people in recovery. That's where the money's going. Um, we are 5013C nonprofit, so anything that you donate is tax deductible. Um, and goes 100% of the cause. No one here gets paid. And so to those, um, there's bonus content, a lot of cool things. We invite you to become an outsider. If you haven't yet, that's okay. Um, Also, those who have, thank you, thank you so much. Also, we want to let everyone know that we are giving away two tickets to UCAP, um, which is the Utah Coalition Against Pornography. It's a one-day conference, Saturday, March 28th. We will be there. We'll have a booth. You can come talk to us. We can hang out. Um, and we are giving away two tickets. So to get those two tickets, you subscribe by email. Um, you'll see the social media post out there. Um, tag that. Like us. Follow us on social media at Unashamed Unafraid. And tag three people. Subscribe by email. And you're in for those free tickets. We hope you enjoy this episode about anonymous questions. And with that, we will get in the studio. Welcome to Unashamed Unafraid, a show unashamed about sexual addiction recovery and unafraid of coming into Christ for healing. Where we talk about real recovery stories, answer anonymous questions with experts, and share resources that actually work. I'm your host, Steve. And I'm your co-host, Jason. And we are Unashamed Unafraid. Jason. Hey, Steve. Hey, Jason. (laughs) Back again. How's your day going? Great. Awesome. And a long one, but a good one. Uh, Longy, but a goodie. Okay, so sometimes I feel like a broken record, but um, this was just an interesting one. It was a good one, yeah. So anonymous questions, um, some questions about hardcore porn use, that kind of thing. Um, We kind of had another question of kind of how to surrender with God. Mm -hmm. Um, So again... Love the courage. For those of you who submit anonymous questions, you are so much more courageous than I am. Keep I would never coming. would have done that. So keep them coming. Send us these questions. We'll try and answer them as fast as we can. Um, but so I, I've been wanting to connect with Addo for a long time, right? They're they're kind of a bigger player here locally and expanding kind of their network. And um, and you. so this is kind of your baby a little bit here. Yeah, a little With bit. Dr. Skinner. So I'll let you kind of talk about him. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, what those at home might not know is that uh, Dr. Skinner was actually my therapist years ago. Um, and so I already knew him through that. And so when you guys said Addo and, and I looked it up and saw Dr. Skinner, I was like, oh, no, he's fantastic. We should absolutely have him on the show. And so. Yeah. So one of the founding members of yep. uh, Addo and like several of the people have on here, we've had Todd Olson on here and. And um, yeah, he's Brian good Murdoch's. friends with the Lifestar guys too. He's done yeah. a lot of stuff with like Jeff Stewart and St. George. And yeah, so Guy just has, I mean, he talks about 25 years of experience. Yeah, he's written so, a handful of books. Yeah, and, talk about yeah. a case study, right? Yeah. Um, and so, um, yeah, I mean, I think what was great about these questions is he got to, I feel like with our, our questions talking about hardcore porn use and is there hope, he got to a lot of the why, mm-hmm. like beyond the surface stuff. So that's what I loved about this episode. Um, is how direct he was and, and just a lot of nuggets. Yeah. Yeah. His experience is, uh, is, uh, something that, that we definitely need more of on this show. So yeah, no, it it was awesome. So, so we hope 
you enjoy listening. I mean, hit wealth of knowledge. So yeah. if you can't get any good recovery tips from this guy, I don't know who you're going to call. <laughs> um, but, and so, and then we want to extend. So um, as you guys know, um, we have uh, filed for a nonprofit status. Uh, so uh, nonprofit now, and we are, we are fun. You know, the donations that come in go to help fund, scholarships for people to go to do recovery activities yeah, so recovery like that at Adam. so you edit all of this stuff for free we do this all for free the whole the whole unashamed crew is doing it for free this is what we have so for those who subscribe we call them our outsiders right our outsiders are those bold accepted and unashamed it's kind of mantra we use for that and so that's those who've taken that unashamed to the next level right that yep. outsiders some is, a, is a reference that lecrae quote yeah, references yep. that same Lucre quote of unashamed and unafraid. And so to those of you who are already outsiders, uh, the bonus content that you will get along with this episode is after we kind of talk about the questions. We kind of had three big questions that we threw at Dr. Skinner, which he nailed, by yeah. the way. Um, so we talked about, he talks about what are the common pitfalls for sobriety and why people can't maintain their sobriety who are in recovery. He talked about what addicts need to know about betrayal trauma. And his answer is kind of different than what I thought, to be yeah, honest, having previously answers. on that one. Um, and then our last question was, like, how how can you tell if, like, someone's recovery is really going to work? And again, a little bit of a different response than I would have thought. Yeah, so that's I, I learned a lot from content. this, to be honest. Yeah, and, and he talks about stuff. his book that he is yeah. is uh, releasing like right now. So I mm-hmm. think by the time we post this post, he's like just a couple weeks away from yep. releasing it. Um, and so kind of talks about his book. So a lot of great stuff in this episode, some really great stuff in the bonus content. So to our outsiders, enjoy. If you are not yet an outsider, it's not hard. Just go to unashamedandafraid.com, our donation page. Click on donate. Subscribe monthly. Um, a dollar, that, five dollars, a dollar, five dollars, yep. ten. Yeah, two hundred's fine. Yeah. Um, you'll be funding people like just right out the gate for themselves. But um, outsiders, we love you. We're with us. And also, if you're not an outsider yet, that's okay. We still love to hear from you. So if you have an anonymous question, like these brave people who we applaud, totally submit it. If you have a recovery story that you think is worth sharing, totally send us an email and absolutely follow us uh, on social media, if you will, Unashamed Unafraid um, at Facebook and on Instagram. And um, if you like, if you feel there's value here, if you felt the spirit, if you feel connected, you thought it was interesting, please, please, if you will, go give us a five-star rating on iTunes. That's how we kind of get judged and our message gets out there and reached. And so... If, if you're not ready to donate, that's okay. Just give us five stars. And with that, we'll get in the studio with Dr. Skinner. Dr. Skinner, the man, the myth, the legend. Thanks for joining us. You're welcome for joining you. I, I'm, I'm, yeah, not the man, not the myth. I, well, I'll, I'll say the man, but uh, I don't know about the legend either. But I'm, I'm, I'm grateful for the chance to be with you. Um, so uh, this is cool. So I, uh, to be honest, I don't even know where to start, uh, introducing you. Sometimes I like to lean and be like, oh, there, this is kind of their lane, but, um, you've done so much. I don't even, I can't even give you any introduction. So I'm going to let you kind of paint yourself into context and tell everyone who you are. Yeah. So, uh, you know, one of the interesting things about who I am is, you know, I'm just an ordinary therapist who loves what I do. But when it comes to pornography, sexual addiction, betrayal trauma, um, I have a lot of passion around it. 
And, uh, you know, I, I think part of that comes from life experience. And what I mean by that is, you know, I've got, I've got seven daughters and a son. And uh, our culture today has changed so much uh, from when I was young. And the internet has evolved to the point where our whole lives have changed. And, and it's almost like the tsunami's here. And we're like, uh, what happened? But uh, anyway, so, so a little bit about me. I, I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist, and I just celebrated my 25th year of doing therapy. Wow. Congrats. Congrats. So, so, so yeah, just really, really been privileged over the last 25 years to meet and interact with just some amazing people. Uh, but, but really, when it comes to pornography, sexual addiction, my beginnings actually happened when I was doing a uh, training and uh, a BYU stake president. He came and said, hey, would you come talk with our stake about pornography? I'm like, uh, yeah, yeah, I get it. But sure, I'm looking for the opportunity. So he invites me. What he didn't tell me is there are going to be a thousand people there. <laughs> <laughs> and at that point, I'm like, okay. Well, what I didn't know is that that would create a cascade of, of referrals. And, and what happened after that is I started realizing holy cow, this is, this is more and more frequent than I'm seeing individuals dealing with pornography who can't stop. And, and really, at that point, my career began to focus on this. Before that, it was not dealing with pornography. Uh, and then what happened is I got slammed with betrayed partners. Mm-hmm. And, and what I mean by mm-hmm. that is it's like, holy cow, they, they just they started coming in and I started seeing emotions that we as therapists had really not been trained on. We didn't get a lot of trauma training in our in our graduate programs, uh, I was in Nebraska and then back at BYU, and that's when I realized quickly that I had to start understanding the betrayal trauma piece. And I don't think not at that time many people were talking about it. And so, along with Dr. Shondell Knowlton and Jill Manning, we created an assessment to assess betrayal trauma using a PTSD perspective. And and really, that's been a game changer for me. Uh, we just published uh, for the first time that assessment which actually uh, shows that betrayal trauma uh, it really parallels the PTSD symptoms uh, as diagnosed in the, in the DSM-5. Wow. So something totally. really exciting, totally. really exciting about, awesome. about that. Yeah, so well, we finally and, published it. And helping people. So my understanding is betrayal trauma is kind of a, a contextual version of just relational trauma, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and in, in this situation, the symptoms, though, are, I mean, you're talking about, again, I could go over the symptoms real quickly, but threat to life, which, you know, we're starting mm-hmm. to see more and more people threat to getting an STD, reliving it, the experience, nightmares, flashbacks uh, during the night, uh, avoiding people, places, situations, that's criteria C, negative cognitions, like uh, it's my fault, I'm unlovable, mm-hmm. the world's not a safe place, uh, and feeling threatened by it. And, and then the final one is where my mind is just hypervigilant. I, I can't, it's racing all the time. And, and then when we looked at those five categories and compared them to the government uh, assessment on PTSD, it, it's a high enough, high enough correlation between them that our scale on sexual betrayal is now a valid scale. And it really, we're looking at 70 to maybe 80% of individuals who have been betrayed are showing those symptoms based upon a, over 10,000 people who've taken our assessment. Yeah, that's all, the, that's amazing research because that's going to help change the world, right? Well, my hope is that it at least gets the awareness out so people right. get the understanding rather than looking at this from an old model of codependency yeah. 
or maybe even another model where it, it's like, well, maybe if you had more sex, maybe if you, you know, oh, if, you spice yeah. it, if you spice it up in the bedroom. Yeah, I don't know how many times we've heard that, huh? Yeah, we, ha- we have, we, we want to get like a, on, on the podcast, like a, like a gun sound or a horse, like a, a, something that when it's a super shamed way off wrong statement, that goes off. So people know like, this is bad. Don't do it that way. And that's one <laughs> yeah, of those. Yeah, yeah. yeah let's, let's avoid that one at all costs because it, it's just absolutely destructive to relationships. It's rubbish. Yeah, that's, that's cool. And so um, this has obviously blossomed into, and you can find it on our resources page. Um, talk to us a little bit about Addo. So Addo began uh, 2012. I received an email. And I was I was just happy and content living in my own world, doing therapy with some just amazing people. And uh, I got an email from a guy, Eric Red, and he said, "We're looking for a clinical director to run a center that focuses on betrayal trauma. Uh, <laughs> we looked at we looked at, we looked at your research, and uh, you're the guy we'd like to interview." And um, that that was the October of 2012. Uh, by March of 2013, we had an office, and it was me with four offices. I mean, there was four, you know, three empty offices and me and, and my business partners. <laughs> and, uh, and it kind of like, uh, if you build it, they will come. And, and uh, right now we've uh, moved upstairs. We've got about uh, eight offices and we have a yoga room. We have neurofeedback behind us. Uh, we've now uh, partnered with therapists in uh, at least 26 states. And uh, they, I've trained those therapists uh, using the betrayal trauma model. And uh, we have partnerships uh, up in Canada as well. So we have, we've grown over the last uh, seven years to the point where we're doing um, just, just literally all over the country. We're reaching out. And um, anyway, it's been a just incredible experience. Uh, Bloom for Women uh, is, is really the uh, platform where we've been able to reach the world. We've had uh, people come from literally all over the world to our center. Uh, and then we now have Path for Men which is a online support resource for men uh, dealing with uh, sexual addiction, uh, pornography addiction. Well, that's awesome. And um, we'll, uh, on our, you know, you can find the, that main link and start channeling around on our resources page and also on this specific post. If you go to the website, unashamedandafraid.com, we'll have a post here with all of those that you just mentioned. I'm familiar with all those and awesome programs and change the world. So love your work. And we're, we're going to leverage your 25 years of experience here for some of our anonymous question uh, submitters. Um, Sounds great. And so Jason, get us into question one. Sure. Question one. Uh, as I learned more about my husband's porn addiction and some of the terrible places porn escalation led him to, I find myself wanting to ask if there are recovery stories that include men who have become involved and addicted to very extreme porn. I am sure there are many wives who feel like their husband must be the only one who ended up in these terrible places. And I think this would be really helpful to speak to. Is there any point that is beyond recovery? What about men who have become involved in gay porn, animal porn, violent rape or death porn, or even illegal underage porn? So is there anywhere you don't come back from? You know, I think there's a lot more questions that I would want to address with that than actually provide any kind of a specific answer. Um, I, I always believe that there's a way back. I, I, I'm, I'm a person of belief and faith that I never say never. But when you start looking at that type of pornography, you're going to see a deeper background that's probably not been disclosed or discussed. In, in other words, there's childhood stuff, abuse. Um, something from the past that usually precedes that type of behavior. 
Um, it normally doesn't just escalate into that kind of porn unless you're really heavily involved. Uh, in, in my vernacular, that would be like an alcoholic who's truly passing out all the time. They've escalated up the game. And usually that's because they're running from something. And usually there's something in their background that I would say may be unaddressed. Um, so the concept of it escalating to that point, that's actually pretty rare when it's going to escalate to that type of pornography, uh, you know, bestiality, child porn, especially if it's early child porn, there's, they're stuck somewhere and that issue needs to be resolved. Uh, it's a great question, but that person who's been doing that probably needs a lot more intense therapy than uh, maybe attending a 12-step group and going to counseling once a week. That type of person is probably going to be best in an inpatient program to understand how they got down that rabbit hole and, and really what, what's the origination of that. Where did it start that you start crossing those kind of illegal boundaries? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and one thing I want to say to to this, you know, listener, this question submitter is when, when we share all of our stories that we've shared on here, um, we've often kind of pared down some of the information and we, and we keep it on the hopeful level, right? So when we have guys come on and share and it's like, Hey, I was addicted to porn. We'll ask how often that's happening, but we don't get into, Hey, well, what type of porn were you watching? So we've had a lot of those conversations offline with a lot of men sharing their stories. And so, you know, does stuff like this happen? Totally. Um, and so I'm obviously not going to point some finger to be like, oh, so-and-so whose story we shared. Oh yeah. They totally had watched violent porn and that was a whole thing and how they got like, that's, that's too, I, I think to kind of what you're saying, like, like that's a conversation having a clinical setting with the right professionals there to really process that and address the deeper issues like you're talking about. So that's why we don't get into it on the podcast because it's, you know, stories of hope and we don't want someone to get distracted by some really dark stuff. So we've actually had several podcast episodes where guys disclosed not not even just acting out behavior, but just trauma from their childhood. We, we have one we story had kind of specifically bit, yeah. that I'm like... Dude, there's so much trauma that this guy's disclosed. We actually edited some of it out with his permission because I'm like, I don't want people to have to go to bed tonight having heard that and holding it <laughs> without any way to process it. Like, that's how intense his trauma was. So, you know, yeah, it, it's out there. And, and and I mean, you probably have specific case studies coming to your mind right now of like, oh, yeah, I had this guy or that guy and maybe it was a longer road, but they did make it back. Yeah. And, and that's the point. I mean, if a person's willing to do the work, uh, I mean, they're going to get insight into how they got down there. And, and, and that, that road is not easy. I mean, it, it, I mean, recovery in and of itself, you guys know the journey. It's, there's nothing easy about it. So, so yep. <laughs> uh, I mean, uh, the challenge that we as a culture have is that we, we've kind of, uh, I don't know, maybe minimize that this is a journey and, and it's not an event, it's a process. And anybody who engages in a, the long-term process, I, I don't question whether they can heal. I think, the, is, can we create the right enough environment where they can be understood? And once they feel understood, start giving them the tools and the resources that lead to the recovery process. There, there's, there are answers. It's just, are, are we willing to get that hope that it's possible? And, and I feel, I mean, honestly, I feel bad for that guy that he got to that point. But I guarantee you, if you go back in time, there's more to that story that has not been revealed. I don't know if it's childhood stuff. I don't know, uh, somewhere along the line. But it, when you d can't get enough, it means you're escalating, escalating. And usually it's you want to be caught. Yeah. 
I, I would say one last thing, and that's that I don't think anybody in this room, I mean, we are a Christian podcast. We, you know, we rely on Jesus. And so, um, I mean, you look at these guys that have been in here and, you know, some of them have, as Steve said, shared some pretty intense stuff. And But the hope is that these are men who are recovering. And so is it possible? Is there anything beyond recovery? Absolutely not. Like, it is definitely possible. No matter where you've been, that is possible, and that's what the atonement is about. And so, totally, I think going, we, Jason. I think we want to end th- with that. Well, go <laughs> to question two because question two is kind of in, in concert with. Yeah, I, one, I think so. question two definitely does segue well here. So, uh, question two is: My best friend is walking through healing from her husband's sex addiction, and learned recently through disclosure that her husband has viewed child porn in the past. This has been reported to the proper authorities, and her husband's therapist has explained that this does not meet the criteria of pedophilia, but is more likely a result of porn escalation. She feels like her situation is beyond hope, especially since she has not been able to find any stories of healing and recovery from men who have viewed child porn. Statistics would indicate that many men have gone there, but this is not something that gets talked about because of the potential legal ramifications. Is there still hope, and are there are there men you know who have found healing and freedom from this? I'm going to address that. There's a term in there that many escalate to there. I'm, I'm going to say statistically that's that's not accurate. So you mean the stats that she Googled on the internet in five minutes were not accurate? <laughs> I, you know, I, I don't want to minimize it, but but to say many... Um, yeah, I mean, she's looking for the truth, right? And you're giving it to yeah, her, so it's good. Yeah, this is a good per- thing. Percent, Percentage-wise, most people are not looking at child porn. That's, that is, statistically speaking, that's, that's the lower percentage. Nevertheless, her question is incredibly important to address. Right. And, and, and even then, I have to define child porn. Are we talking prepubescent in contrast with someone who's been go- through puberty uh, to somebody who's 17 or, uh, you know, working on 18? We're not talking the same genre even when it comes to that. Well, Dr. Skinner. Yeah. Can, sorry, I don't mean to interrupt you. Can we can we also differentiate between has viewed and is viewing? Well, yeah. Right. Because just because I have seen something doesn't mean that. Right, like I've escalated to that concept right? here. That's an, what we call an arousal template. An arousal template is is it a primary preference of how you're acting out. So somebody whose primary way of looking at something sexually is 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 say ch- a child, then that's where they're stuck, and that's where they're going to need more clinical support, and 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 at very high risk there for offending. It is what many people think, but even there, the statistics don't say that they're going to be acting out. Now, I, I'm going to say that they, that does increase the possibility, but statistically speaking, we I don't want to scare people to the to death saying, well, because they're doing this, they're going to act out with children. That 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 too does not show in the research. But what does show, and then I think this is an important part, is that there are there are those who escalate into that, and that's the danger. Now. That being said, there's even more questions that I'm saying, you know, what's the frequency? Is, is it something that they bump into? Or are they intentionally looking at child porn? Yeah. And, and, and there, again, there's a difference there. Somebody, somebody who ha- is intentionally looking at that, that's illegal behavior. And, and I think it's important for us to recognize the laws and, and protect minors as much as possible. Now, I, again, if, if I was her friend, I would be scared too, because the question is, who is this person? I don't know them the way I thought I knew them. And, and, and that I completely understand because it is, 
it is, I mean, if, if it was my spouse who was looking at child pornography, I would be scared. Yeah. Yeah. Well, on the, on the betrayal trauma Richter scale, this is really high. Yeah. Yeah. Because uh, again, uh, betrayal trauma is really the foundation of, I don't feel safe. Yeah. Right. And I, and if I, if I don't feel safe, that means I don't recognize, I don't know you. I can't predict you. So, so this is a, this is a very hard topic for a lot of people. And, and partially because we, we don't know what we don't know. So to go back to the question here, if he is viewing it intentionally, can he be helped? Uh, yeah, there's no question that he, he can be helped, but I'm going to go back. This is looking more, even beyond my professional experiences working with sexual addiction, I'm looking at more of helping educate them about uh, sexual offending. Because mm-hmm. I, I think you're right. That's where the fear, the largest fear is, right? Is that's because that's a whole nother class of problem and issue. Well, yeah. right? Am I and, safe? Or, uh, are our am children I safe? safe? Are our children yeah. safe? Or, we've had the neighbor kids over here that I remember that one night, right? You start racking all those questions that you do with the betrayal trauma, right? I remember that one time you were, you went on the scouting thing. Like, did you molest someone then? Did you like, it just, the mind just races, right? Yeah. And, and, and so there's, it brings up a whole lot of other questions, but really that goes beyond even my experience because that now I'm looking at sexual offending behavior and, and, and potential for that. And yeah. that's where we have to get people who can do the proper assessment even on that. And, and that's, that's the clinical work that is, is it's going to require a significant amount of time and commitment. Again, there are people who have been down that pathway who have worked and worked to heal and understand themselves. But it, again, in more, a majority of these cases, a majority of them, you can track those type of being stuck into earlier life traumas on their part. Mm-hmm. Something's happened, and that's going to be a statistical possibility that in a higher percentage. Yeah. And, and one thing I would tell this listener, if you haven't already, you can go back and if you listen to Paul's story, and Paul actually runs a, a podcast, the Mess It Up podcast. So Paul um, did molested his stepdaughter, did jail time, and 15 years later has some restoration. So his path was long, a huge chunk of his life really defined, but has really found some healing. And so I think just to emphasize that part is, you know, her question, you know, are there men who have found healing and freedom from this? Right. I mean, you you know, you have confidentiality, right? (laughs) We don't. So you're not going to tell us any, you know, specific examples. And, um, but yeah, I mean, that's one story that we have, you can go listen to right now of, um, you know, that's not this exact same profile, but it's in that neighborhood. Um, and, yeah, I mean, there's there's real change there. Took him, you know, five years to really get into doing his own work, and another fifteen to really figure it out. But I mean, you can go listen to his podcast, and the guy's for real. You know, and something I, I had to say about that is he's the one that we look to as somebody who says, "Okay, I, I paid a price." Recovery always requires a price, mm-hmm. and 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 so I'm major kudos to Paul. Mm-hmm. Before we move on to the next question, I know those kind of first two were kind of in sync. Is there is there anything else on those two that you kind of sticking out to you or or, or a concept you want to talk about before we move on to our, our third and final question? Yeah, if there's anything, I would say that these types of cases, not that they don't happen, but they are not the most frequent that we see in our offices. 
uh, again, I've got years and years of experience, but that's not the majority of what I see. Yeah. Yeah. Now that's not to say that it's, it's like abnormal or shameful or, you know, cause we want to avoid that here. Right. We want to make sure that these people know that there's, that there's no shame in, in recovery, right? That's our whole thing. Right. And, and if you add to that, then the only other thing I would say to that is, is that the solutions, there, there are powerful spiritual solutions as well. Right. I mean, when, when an individual recognizes that there is a stronger power, um, when they, re, so to speak, release that and let God help them, there is a power there. And, and you know, and, and as a clinician, uh, I, I don't, I talk religion when my clients talk religion. And I can tell you that I have seen over time incredible healing experiences where people have had wake up calls, spiritual wake up calls. And, and so you see that as well. So I, I guess I want to incorporate that into it. Don't, um, don't minimize or let that part go if the person's listening to this. Trusting in God, there, even if there's been a lack of connection with God in the past, I'm, I'm telling you there's a power, a spiritual power in learning to trust in Him. Amen. And I think it's always worth saying for for the betrayed spouse here, um, that's true whether or not he ends up changing his behavior or finds recovery. There is still healing for that spouse, whether or not the addict spouse actually changes. Yeah. Oh, well, the betrayed spouse, yeah, healing, healing for that person. I, I, th- there's a grieving process. It, it, it truly is. It's a loss of what I thought I had and what I thought I knew I had. And, and then there's a mourning process. And, and, and really, the solutions for that is, is really found in a community, a larger community, and a spiritual community is uh, often very helpful. Yeah, that's That awesome. segues really well into the next question. Yeah, so third question. So <laughs> I'm a listener of your podcast, and you guys have often talked about not being able to attain recovery without God which is very true. We believe that. Um, I'm struggling with this because I feel like I am doing um, this with God. I read my scriptures daily. I pray morning and night. I go to church. I try to be obedient in all things. And I feel like God and I are in this together, yet I cannot find lasting sobriety. I typically can't make it past three months. This has been going on for years. I am, am I deceiving myself? Do I just think, in all caps, you know, so do I just emphasize, you know, do I just think that I'm doing this with God? Maybe I don't truly know what it means to surrender. How do I do that? What does this look like? What a great question. Really good question. Um, Here's the thing. You can do all of the spiritual things, but when your brain is hijacked Mm -hmm. and and that three-month period of time comes up, he needs more support. He needs more accountability. The, the best advice I ever heard in a situation like this, uh, Patrick Carnes, he said, people relapse because they either have secrets or they don't have enough structure. Mm, I love that. That's worth saying again yeah, for say everyone again. listening. <laughs> All right. People relapse because they don't, well, I'll say it the other way this time. They don't have enough structure or they have secrets. So, so if we put that into context, about three months into this process, he needs more structure. He at that point he needs to up his game to say I I need more support around this time frame because that's when I lose 
my momentum and I succumb to the temptation. So what is structure and what is support? So structure at that point would probably be calling up a friend and saying, look, I'm approaching my three month period of time. I need daily accountability right now. Mm -hmm. Because what he's doing in that moment is he's saying, I can't do this one on my own. That's more like a surrender that makes more sense. Right. If you're surrendering flying solo, <laughs> the hijacked brain does not do well flying solo. It flies right into the cow pie. <laughs> Every you, time. <laughs> you mean that I can't just isolate and read my scriptures more and pray harder and go to church more? And I call it the try harder gospel, <laughs> by the way. That's my coined phrase. It's, yeah. It's try harder. And, yeah. And see, that's, that's a shame-based experience because yep. I can try as hard as I can. It's isolating. And I need connection. I mean, the research is absolutely clear. The more connection you have, the stronger your support team, the less likely you are to relapse. Long-term recovery almost always includes connection. Yeah. So kind of what I'm, I'm connecting his question to what you're saying, you're saying part of surrendering and really connecting with God in a real way is doing that with some community and some openness, not because it sounds like his relationship with God might be very isolated. Everything he does with God is in a one-on-one experience, right? I re- I pray every morning and night. I read my scriptures. I go to church, and I, and I've seen this a lot. A lot of people go to church by themselves, like they're sitting in the pew and they're with everyone, but they're not they're not really engaged, like you're talking about, as far as as church or God community really being part of their support. Yeah. And here's the thing. We've come to a conclusion that somehow we have to fight this battle on our own. There's so much shame. We're afraid to talk about it. And and yet it's exactly the opposite. If you look at people in recovery, they have a voice like you guys, you know, not that everybody has to get on a podcast and and share their story. But if you have a story, you're welcome to come on ours. Yeah, please. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yes. But, but the point is, is being willing to say, I need help is how we surrender but not just to some God that we pray to, but to a human being who's sitting in front of us, who says, I'm here with you. Mm. I support you. I'm not saying that we can't get that strength from God, but but God works through messengers here. Mm. I, I also believe, and, and this is a belief that I've come to since boot camp, um, that it's it's been talked about on on earlier episodes steve the idea that god is an it and i think that for my whole pre-recovery god was still my god but he wasn't a him he wasn't a friend he wasn't my connection right and so yes i do believe that all that's important but i also believe that my thought was well i am doing this with somebody i'm doing it with god it was john and amy she called them that she used to think of god as a vending machine yeah. in the sky you send your payment up and then and then the you know, the blessing product, comes the down. Blessing comes down. Yeah. And, and I think that that's what this listener is feeling too, that he feels like he's doing it with God, but maybe that connection really isn't there where God isn't an it. God needs to be a him. God needs to be a, a, a father. Yeah. You know, something I would say to that listener uh, in particular is when you try every God method, you know, and you can't do it, you often incorporate the concept of shame into your belief system. Something's wrong with me. I'm doing yep. it wrong. And, and, and that's the adversary who is literally turning you away from that strength. Obviously, God doesn't care about you, or you're not strong enough, or there's something wrong with your character. That's a shame-based voice. 
And to that person, I'd say that voice is trying to keep you from the greater strength of that relationship with God. Mm-hmm. And, and so that three month period of time, that's when you're like, I would almost want to celebrate coming into three months saying, I've done the three months. Now I'm going to extend my game and, and I'm going to be accountable. And I'm going to tell people, Hey, I need more support right now. And incorporating that in them into your plan reduces the shame because you're like, I see how this works. Yeah, and then awesome. he extends his game and realizes it doesn't have to be three months. And I know the pattern because I've got support around me. I have a team of support and I'm not afraid to let them know that, hey, I'm having a hard day. That's the biggest problem that most people have is they try to fly solo for so long and they don't make progress and they don't make progress because flying solo doesn't work in recovery. Yeah. And, and so let me kind of dovetail this into his question because obviously as addicts, we have a lot of relatability with the questions that get asked. So I think one part that's confusing, at least been really confusing to me about surrendering to God, is as an addict and even since in recovery, I've had huge spiritual experiences with God, but like they didn't quite connect on a personal level. And like the one example I was using, I remember one week in particular in my addiction, um, Wednesday night I was with the prostitute, Thursday night I was an ordinance worker in the temple. And when, when the session was over, someone came, came up to me and told me it was the most spiritual experience they ever had in the temple, and they felt so blessed by me and glad that I was there. And several of the people, you know, who I would say are very spiritually astute, wise men, agreed with that. And I did have a spiritual experience there, there, there at the temple, but, like, my cup wasn't full, I wasn't really connecting but I was still able to have spiritual experiences, but like I didn't have internal peace. And so what would you kind of say to, cause sometimes that can be confusing, I guess is what I'm saying is cause you know, maybe this guy, when he prays at night, he does feel the spirit or when he does certain things, he's like, well, I, I have these spiritual experiences. So why isn't it all coming together for me? I, I think that challenge with that is that we, we think of spirituality as black or white. Either we have the spirit or we don't. It's a light switch. It's, a, it's either on or it's off. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, the, the thing I would say to most individuals like that is it's the consistency over time, right? We're, we spiritually ebb and we spiritually flow up and down and all around. But what I would say to specifically to your, your, your experience, I think there's a couple of things that um, they were there. They had the spirit. God's not going to retain, re, 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 keep them from having that kind of an experience. Mm-hmm. They're there for a purpose. You're the one who's suffering, mm-hmm. right? You're the one who's suffering, but they're there having a spiritual experience. And, and that experience is, is etched in their minds. But, but in you, you're, you're suffering. Mm-hmm. And you, and you know that. Oh, it's right on. Oh, it's spot on. And so, so um, God knows how to work his plan even if we tend to screw it up. Yeah. Well said. No, I, no, I, I love that. And um, I mean, we, we appreciate you being willing to, you know, kind of answer, kind of answer these questions that, you know, were submitted by these anonymous listeners and, you know, the courage they have for submitting. We always kind of give that shout out. Well, and we'd love to, you know, do whatever we can to promote your work. And so when the second book comes out, we'd love to do an episode with you where you can talk about both books and the companionship and why you decided to do them. And so anything we can do to kind of help put the word out for that, we'd love to help you out. 
Yeah, that'd be that'd be great. I appreciate that. And uh, you guys keep up the good of what you're doing, and may the, may your listeners be blessed. If there's one thing um, I do know, is it's not an easy journey. It's worth it, though. Yep, that's the that. truth. Truly, thank you for your time. And um, you know, this one was going to go up fairly quickly because we like to get the anonymous questions answered really quick from when they email them. Um, like I say, we'll we'll put a six month mark six week mark kind of in our mind for your, for your book release and, um, try and reach back out when you're kind of in that, you know, promotion mode, putting it out there and give, help you give you another Avenue. So that'd be great. Thanks. Thanks.